morning. Hey, if you're joining us online, you're here in the room, really glad that you're here. People are asking me about, do we get bonus points for the weather today? I would say initially no. People were saying I was being stingy. Give you half point, I guess. The road's still pretty clear, but give you half point. Give you half point bonus just out of you made me feel guilty about it. Hey, I'm Charlie, by the way. I don't know if I said that already. I'm the lead pastor here if you're new. Really, really glad that you are worshiping with us today, that you're visiting here at The Grove. Um, any way that we can help you, please let us know. Um, information that, again, that's always relevant, especially in intros like this. I'm a huge Razorback basketball fan, and I've been telling you we're just going to keep wearing Razorback gear as long as the win streak goes. We're eight games in a row. Number one, Auburn comes to town on Tuesday. Um, I mean, I don't even know what next Sunday will be like if if we just keep if we keep this going. Anyways, I'm real excited, and and you know, it's kind of deal. Very few people, for good reason, have really ever experienced me watching a basketball game. And even when if I got people around me, like I, I I adjust it a little bit because you know there's just a lot of there's just a lot of just a lot of emotion, a lot of intensity. You know, I mean, I mean. I, kind of deals like maybe this is just the healthiest place for me to direct some of this I don't know or maybe it just describes all sorts of weird things that are going on but anyway so some of you are curious about that and I'm not going to tell you anything but I will tell you this there's something that I can teach you about what it's like what it's what I'm like as like a basketball by telling you the story of my daughter Lauren and this was a long time ago she's 21 now this was like when she was maybe seven or eight or something like that and we're sitting there I'm watching a basketball game by myself in uh, in the living room and she walks in and she just kind of goes dad which one of these teams do we hate no no question about who we're rooting for nothing about the game she just knew that it was very obviously somebody here that we hate and so I gave them this kind of handy rule and it doesn't help for everything but it's kind of handy if they got blue in their jersey we don't like them right we got some Kansas fans some Duke fans Florida fans around here but you know, I'm talking to you I'm, 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 oh but it's not your team it's definitely your team and I, and, and I was thinking about this and it'll be very uh, apparent uh, why like it's kind of like what is it you know there's just a lot of there's a lot of anger, like, and it, and, it's, and it almost seems real, you know, like, like I, I really, like, I, I hate that team, I hate that coach, and again, try to broaden it out here a little bit, I mean, we could talk about your favorite politician, or your least favorite politician, your favorite cable news network, or your least favorite cable news network, or your favorite or least favorite character on any number of Bachelor or Bachelorette seasons that have been going on since TV began, right? Um, I mean, there's just, you just, I, oh, I hate, oh, I hate, oh, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, oh, like, wow, like, where does that come from? Where is that? I mean, you know, it's honest, usually it's, it's, it's some perception of a team being more successful than yours, or a team that is, seems to be taking shortcuts, you know, they're, they're, they're cheating in some way, and again, this applies to any number of reality shows as well, it's like, oh, they're, they're cheating, they're not doing it right they're doing it the, the wrong the wrong wrong way or I don't, I don't want them to win I like this one and they, they seem to be doing better like, and it's like it all comes from this idea of like me or the person that I identify with or my team I want them to win if anybody else is doing well I like that or if they're doing if they're doing it 
the wrong way. I, I don't like that. There's just this thing that gets triggered in us. And this is not a new phenomenon at all because we're going to be looking at a passage here in James 4. We're talking about relationships and last week spent some time just kind of talking about where Jesus says that this is how people are going to know. If people are like, hey, those are Jesus' people. In order for us to be identified as Jesus' people, what he says is here's how people are going to know by the way that we love. If we love well, if we love each other well, then, then they'll know. And he just kind of spent some time talking about, like, how do we feel like we're doing as, a, as Christians as a whole, as a church, individually, and kind of launching into that. But I think it's very clear, and it's one of these things that you don't really have to spend a whole lot of time talking about. If I, you know, I don't have to defend this statement. It seems like there's a lot of anger and hate in the world right now. And it also seems that Christians are not absolving themselves. They're not, we're not exempting ourselves from it. We are, we, are, we are in it. We are in it. Where does this come from? And again, this is not a new question. That is, this is not the first time anyone has asked this. All we have to do is go to this passage in James chapter 4, starting with verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Let me just stop there for a second. Great question. And so what we have here with the, with the church that James is writing to, it obviously has gotten to him that there is some fighting and quarreling going on amongst them. You know, the, these letters that are written are just read, letters that one person writes to a group or to another person, and the issues that are brought up, they're not random. They're not just things that just kind of pop into their head. They come from what's going on. So there's obviously a lot of conflict and, and fights bitterness, these kinds of things going on here. And he's going to answer this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And I don't want to, as we're kind of exploring this, to say this answer that he gives to this question in this moment is the cause of any fight everywhere for all time. But he does, he does generalize it really quickly. Rather than just talking about whatever the specific issues are, he's kind of like kind of this broad stroke that may not describe every conflict, every fight that people are having all the time. But I think if we will let him speak to us, I think a significant number and amount of the anger and the frustration and the division that is out there and in here, I think James really hits it pretty well here. And spoiler warning. like it when I read it, you're not going to like it either, right? Because it starts off, it just starts off that, right? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Bro, stop, right? No, no, let me tell you what causes the problems that I've got, and it ain't the things that come within me, it's the things that come within them. It's always their fault, right? Can we can we all at least agree on that, that it's not ever my fault, it's, your, it's their, it's it's them, but he gets right to it. And the thing that we don't ever want to necessarily address in a conflict, hey, what's causing these conflicts? Isn't it actually something that's going on inside of you? Not what someone is doing to you, but what is happening inside of you, not inside of them, not what's being done to you. Is it not 
that's going on inside of you. Verse 2. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now there's a slightly alarming statement that he makes here that is mentioned actually somewhere else in James that I feel like just needs to temporarily address. Basically, he says here, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. Which implies that there has been a murder of some kind in the church. And he references it again later. And that's just kind of alarming that they've allowed it to get to this point to where someone was either murdered or perhaps um, had someone else arrested and they were executed. Anyway, it would seem that a death has happened here, that the anger and the division that has gotten there has been is that significant. But how does James identify it? He says there's these desires that are going on inside of you. You want something, but you don't have it. You covet, you strongly desire something that doesn't belong to you, but you cannot get what you want. Basically what he's pinpointing here, as far as what the kind of their core issue is, it's a lack of it's a lack of them having like I I want something and I can't have it. I want something and I don't have it. I want something and they have it. And and that's and and that's the core issue. And essentially what he's saying here is that division division comes from envy. Division comes from envy. You have something that I want. You have a privilege that I don't seem to have. You are trying to take something that I believe that belongs to me. There is something about this situation that's unfair. And I am on the losing end of it. And it and it's and it's just it's just not most self-righteous days when we get upset about things, we become advocates for fairness or justice. Well, it's not about me. I just, I just think she's, I just, I, I, I just think she'd be fair. I just, I just, I'm, I'm just trying to bring more justice. When really, you just, what James is saying is that you just, you just want, you just want something. You ever seen, you ever, you ever been, uh, so there's these, these, I mean, lots of great reasons for you to be in Grove Kids, but there's lots of great reasons to be like in a two-year-old class, three-year-old class. I mean, there's just, it's just a pure joy. I like, in, in another lifetime, that's what I'm doing. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to be a three-year-old teacher one day. They're great. Have you ever seen like a pair of toddlers, a pair of two-year-olds, a pair of three-year-olds uh, fighting over toys? One of my favorite things, and you'll see this sometime, is like one kid will have a toy the other kid on the other room wasn't particularly, the toy's been sitting there vacant for like the whole time. One kid picks it up, kid on the other side of the room, huh, that toy suddenly became more interesting. And so he walks over there to that kid with that toy, and you know, you know, then the teacher doesn't know what to do. And sometimes you got kind of a, like, a, like a chill, good-natured kid who's like, man, oh, this ain't, this ain't worth all that. I mean, here you go. And the kid's like, eh. 
I mean, suddenly it's not that cool anymore. Kids start to pout. But the, kid, the other kid picks up another, like, ah, bah, bah, bah. It's like, whatever it is that kid has, I want it. But then I have it, I go, I'm out. It's, it's always about what the toddler doesn't have. And then once I have it, it then becomes about, well, what else don't I have? <laughs> Toddlers. Sure is great that we grow out of that. debate that you want, your favorite or your least favorite movie, and, and if you will allow yourself to kind of see it with these eyes, I mean, these are the things that we tend to fight about. Somebody has something, and I don't think that it's fair that they have it. I have this thing, and you are trying to get it. But the means by which you are trying to get this thing that I have, I believe are illegitimate or like I got this this way. This is the way you get it. You're trying to get it through some wrong way, and that's wrong. And it's all about who has what. Whether we're talking about money, whether we're talking about power, this is how it plays out. And we have this sort of attitude then that kind of then it permeates our regular lives too. And my life then becomes about whether or not I believe that I'm getting what I believe that I'm entitled to. A sexual satisfaction in the way that I want it. An amount of money that I want. An amount of influence and power or position or house or car or life or family. I believe that I'm entitled. I believe that I should have this. And so it causes me a lot of anger, either at the people that have it and I don't have it, or the people that I believe are keeping me from it. There is some great, greater, better, more fulfilling more satisfying life that is just right there. And you already have it. And you're keeping me from it. And so, I live this life like a toddler. Like a two-year-old who can only notice the toys that other people have. And then even if I were to achieve it, I move on then to the next thing that I don't have. And we live lives far too often with a level of discontentment that is always someone else's fault. Which again, I find, I find James's insights and his thoughts on this, I find them captivating, fascinating, and entirely frustrating all at the same time. Because I say, hey, we're going to talk about conflict resolution today. We're going to talk about the way it kind of, it's like, hey, it's, you know, it's about this and you and the way that we talk and the way that this. And he's like, well, I mean, I mean sure, 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 sure. But really it just comes from about, forget, it's like, it's like what he's saying here, it really doesn't matter what's happening between two people. What he's identifying is not conflict, like not the way that we talk about it the issues themselves, but is really what is going on in our hearts. And that 
most of this comes down to an attitude that says, if I don't have it, I'm unhappy and I'm willing to fight with someone about it because of the unfairness or the imbalance of it. And so he continues on, and I promise you guys, this is not getting any nicer. We're not going to get any happier later. Verse 4, you adulterous people. Man, James, James would be a, we don't preach a lot out of James because we're kind of like a good vibes church. We're just kind of like good vibes. I mean, there's good vibes and there's sometimes there's difficult vibes. And, and James full of, come on, bro, vibes. I mean, and then so anyways, but we, got, we, we, can't, we can't avoid it forever. And we have, I'm, I'm just joking, we have in fact preached in James. Just a joke. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he is called to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Again, I mean, there's kind of, I mean, he's not, he's not pulling punches here. You adulterous people, you are someone who is married and are cheating on the one that you're married to. God is your spouse, you're married to God, and you're cheating on him. That's what you're doing. You choosing, you are choosing the world over God. You're choosing to be a friend of the world, and if you choose to be a friend of the world, you're now an enemy of God. These are kind of, again, no, no pull punches description of what James is saying is happening here. You have this, this envy in you. You have this coveting. You have this desire for things, and you see what other people have and what you don't, and you see people getting things unfairly, and you don't, you don't like that, and, and you've got all this. And it's like really what that boils down to is that you're, you're cheating on God. You are now becoming God's enemy. God opposes the proud. You are now in a, we're in a situation where God is opposing you. So the division, he says, the division is coming from your envy, and your envy comes from worldliness. Now, if you've been around here a while, you know, sometimes I'll reference old school, Sunday school stuff that I learned, or kind of the old school, small southern church that I went to in small town Arkansas, right? And like, and kind of how they just kind of went overboard on some things. And, and this, you know, sometimes I guess Sunday school teachers are right. Because this is what he's saying. He's like, man, you're choosing to kind of be a partner and a friend of the world. And this idea of worldliness, maybe this is the first time you've heard this idea, but essentially we'll come down to this. Again, I don't think this is something I have to sell too hard with the way that things are going right now. That there are two sets of values out there. There's at least two. We'll just focus on the two primary ones. There are the values that God has, and there are the values that the world has. There's the values that one should have in order to be someone who is living a life pleasing to God. These are the kind, this is the kind of person that you should be. These are the kinds of things that you should do. This is the kind of heart that you should have if you want to be pleasing to God. And there's another set of values that say this is how you need to leave if you want to be successful in the eyes of the world. And I think by and large, and I'm not going to say that there's just zero overlap in the Venn diagram of this, but by and large, 
they are two very distinct sets of values. Take mine. You know, fighting, division, conflict. And then what God talks about is peace, contentment, love, self-sacrifice, sacrificial love. Giving up things that I believe that I'm entitled to in order to love people well. The world says I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hang on to what that, that everybody's trying to take what's mine, and I gotta fight for what's mine. I gotta keep you away from what's mine. And and God says, Hey man, take what I have given you to bless the world. You're trying we're we're trying to satisfy ourselves, and God's saying, Every blessing that you have is intended to bless somebody else. We've got two very distinct sets of values here. And what James is saying is, really, a lot of this comes down to, you are choosing to live by the wrong set of values. You're choosing to live a life that says, I'm going to make the focus of my life me getting what I want. And I want to be the best. I want to have the most. And again, we're not just simply talking about finances here. Again, depending on the nature of the relationship, it's influence, it's power. That's the, it, it, it affects the way that we view our sexuality. If I'm not getting what I want, I'm going to take it. If I'm not getting what I want from this relationship, I'm going to go find it in a different relationship because I am entitled to things. I'm entitled to this sexual fulfillment. I'm entitled to amount of comfort, of power, of influence, of money, of all of these things. And my life and, and, and my, my eyes, my mind, my brain, my heart, I just can't help but think about that, about what I believe that I'm entitled to. And so now anybody who even brushes up against that becomes an enemy that I've got to fight. You're trying, you're trying to make me have less. You're trying to make me, you, you, I, I, I can't. And it comes from, because I believe kind of at, at the core, the opposite of, of envy, the opposite of jealousy, of, of coveting, is content, contentment. So what circumstances would have to be true in your life right now in order for you to be at be content? I am at peace now with God and my life. What circumstances would have to change? Because I think ultimately, and we're going to see as we kind of move in and close this passage out here, so we'll, we'll look at it in just a second. The hint, the draw needs to be, if God is God, and I am right with Him, and the Son gave everything for me, and He has given me peace, joy, life in this life, and has promised me a perfect, amazing, eternal life beyond this one, then there's absolutely nothing that should have to happen in order for me to not be content. And the lacks that I have in this life, I wish they were different, honey. I mean, I, I, wish, I wish things were different. But you can't knock me off of the peace and the joy 
and the contentment and the life that God has given us. And so we see that here in his, in his answer. Kind of here's, here's what's going to have to happen. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Good news. I mean, it, it really is. I'm just, I'm just going to, I mean, this is, it's a little startling, actually, the language that he uses here. And part of it is James has a very different writing style and kind of a mental approach and kind of than, than the letters that we most likely or most often read or familiar with, the things that Paul writes or the things that Jesus said. He's definitely got more, like, straight shooter is the right. I mean, just, he, doesn't, he doesn't gloss over anything. So essentially what he's saying is, is like, hey, listen, what, what's the problem here? The problem is, is the envy and the selfishness that's going on in your heart. Where does that come from? Well, that comes from the fact that you have allowed the values of the world to determine your values rather than things that God is trying to get you focused on. And some of you then are out there, you're just kind of living your lives like, man, I've got it. I've kind of got it all together. I've got, this, I've got, I've, I've got things and I'm, I'm doing good and I'll, I'll fight you if you come from mine, but you know, I'll look around, I'm doing all right. And this is a message very specifically tailored to the people in the church, in this particular church, the ones that had the power, the ones that had the things. And you see that, you read more of James. He's talking about the people who have the power, who have the influence, who have the money in the church. And he's like, you guys think like you're acting like you're all good, but you're not because there's something wrong in your heart that's causing you to fight. It's causing this discontentment. And it comes, again, from this problem with values. And, but healing, but the healing that you need, the healing comes from God. And there's a sense in which we need to understand that if we find ourselves in a lot of conflict, if we find ourselves where there's groups of people not just blue jersey basketball teams, but like real life kinds of things. Where there are people out there that I hate. There are people out there that just make me so angry. And it's, or there's people around me, I just, I just, don't, I just don't like them. I don't like what they're doing. Or there's these groups of people politically or socially and I just, I, I don't, I don't like them. I don't want them coming here and I don't like what they have. I don't like where they live. I don't like what they do. I don't like the people in my office who are getting the promotions. I don't like the people who are getting the raises. I don't like the people with the nicer houses. I don't, I don't like, I don't like, I just, I just. If we find ourselves in this place, and again, I don't think that we are unrepresentative of the world around us. We need to do some inward work. We need to do some inward work. And that healing, that healing that he's talking about here, if we are going to get right, if we are going to get past this kind of attitude, it's going to come from God. Submit yourselves then to God. Come near 
to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord. A recognition that there's a values problem, but it's, it's in me. And I stop focusing on what's going on out there, what's going on with them, what's happening with you. What is going on with me? And there's a story, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a classic. I don't know if you've, how many of you have heard this before, but it was really kind of this classic turning moment in my life. I had graduated from college and spent six years working for a college ministry. And I was wanting to transition from that, kind of move into the church world and um, applied for this job. I've been actually been doing it on an interim basis and been going really well. I applied for the full-time job, and I didn't get it. And I had a reaction like a guy who, who had lived his whole life that if I worked for it, I always got it. Someone who had just always gotten the things that he'd tried for, always had been the winner. I had a very, you know, I would say very immature reaction to it. And I was told that I was too young and I didn't have a seminary degree, so I couldn't have the job. So ultimately, Heidi and I, we made a decision. It's like, well, you can fix both of those problems in one stroke. You can just go to seminary. And you go to seminary, and when you're done, you've got the degree, and by definition, you're older, right? I mean, you just, you just you go, you come back, you, when it's over, you're older than what you were when you went in, right? So you can fix both of those things. So we felt really strongly that that's what God wanted us to do. So we did. And, you know. And there's so many there's so many things like that. I'm, out, I'm now living with my in-laws, I'm delivering pizzas. I got 18-year-old stoners for boss. I'm 28, 29 years old with a kid and a wife that's pregnant. My car broke down. I had to get rid of it. I bought another car that just kept breaking down. I had this assignment for one of my classes. It was a spiritual formation class, which felt very weird to me at the time. I called it kind of, it was kind of like touchy-feely Christianity. I came here to learn, and you're trying to get me to be in touch with my feelings, which is really weird. I didn't come to seminary for you to tell me to get in touch with my feelings. So we had this assignment where I was supposed to get, get alone and do some certain things and whatever. And I was like, I hadn't done it because what's the point? I'm just, you know, is this going to be on the test or whatever, right? But I was like, man, I, got, I guess I got to do something. So on the way to seminary, I stopped. I just left a little bit early. I stopped at this roadside park and um, to work on this assignment, trying to get in touch with what I was feeling. Let me tell you, where it ended was me screaming at God, screaming out loud, crying. Because I thought in my mind, and I said this to him, God, we had a deal. I work hard, I do what you ask me to do, and you make sure everything in my life goes good. And you are breaking the deal. I'm screaming this top of my lungs. Be assured there was no one else at this roadside park. It was just me. I'm screaming this. And I've got two audible voice stories. I'll tell you the other one another time. This is one of the times where I would say that I actually heard an audible voice from God. It was so quiet. Such a low whisper. Never make 
been living a life believing that I was entitled and that the people who were denying me things or keeping me from things, they were, they were enemies and that it was God's job to make sure I had everything that I thought that I wanted. And there was all of this anger and rage and sadness and confusion because of all the things that I had learned, peace, joy, trust, contentment, weren't on the list. So when I read a verse that says, wash your hands, you sinner, purify your hearts, grieve, mourn, and wail, I know what that means. Because I spent way too much of my life intermixing what the world says is successful and the life, the inward life that God was wanting me to have. moment I humbled myself and in the 21 years since then I would say in a lot of ways I'm still learning it but honestly it would be be a story of God lifting me up of teaching me a different way of living life teaching me a different way of peace and joy and contentment and connection with other people So we're going to spend some time in the rest of this relationship series talking about things that are a lot more traditional to our relationship series. Times when interpersonal relationships can be tough and we don't know how to deal with it, getting some kind of good advice and, and, and help on how to navigate relationships when they just get a little off. But before we get into that, I think it's important for us to do a different type of work. To say that a lot of this, a lot of the discontentment, a lot of the anger, a lot of the conflict, a lot of the division comes from inside of here. And let us be a people who are willing to humble ourselves. To wash our hands, to come near to God. And allow Him to do the work that we need to do to release the anger, release the envy release the discontentment and put our hope and faith and trust only in Jesus Christ that God has sent and the peace and the life and the hope that He wants us to have regardless of our circumstances, both in this life and in the next. Let's pray.